This is Detention, a podcast dedicated to candid conversations about education. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Lopez, a global leader, author, speaker, coach, consultant, and entrepreneur who opened a school to close a prison. Join me as I share my insights and bring fellow disruptors to serve time in conversation. Rebels, let's get into some good trouble. Whether you are proud to be an educator or want to show some love to one that you know, check out the Wear Elevated Apparel coming to you from www.elevatedblk.com. Elevated BLK is a sponsor of today's show. There you can find t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies with a variety of designs, colors, and sizes to choose from that pays homage to educators all over the world. Make sure you check it out. Now let's get into this next episode. Mike Peterson, or Coach Mike, as he's affectionately called by his scholars, is a New York City Department of Ed physical education teacher who became a career changer after having years of experience as an executive in marketing and project management. It was during a trip to Spotify with my scholars who were being mentored by the Brooklyn Combine, a group of creatives and attorneys who are what I consider my brothers and community family. And that's where I met Mike. I learned about his background in tech and entertainment, but it was evident that he had a love for education. And within a short period of time of our conversation, he transitioned into the world of education as a teacher in physical ed. And that's how I became a mentor to him, just by sharing advice on how to navigate the system, cheering him on whenever he would appear on various news outlets for his work, and just reminding him of how dope his innovation was and allowing his vision to manifest because he saw things that no one else could. Over the years, just as he has learned from me, I have learned so much from him by just watching how he's evolved in his teaching practices and witnessing how he's been able to leverage relationships with various entities and drawing off of his personal experiences as a young student from Marcy Projects who attended the same PS297 where he now works. He has created a world for those children to escape, to see themselves as human beings in a world that often wants to deny who they are. His story is inspiring and it's worth listening to. And what you will learn is how the audacity to challenge the narrative And to have vision can bring out so much for young people who are deserving. Now let's get into it. Hey, Mike. So glad you're here serving detention with me. There's always a couple of people that I'm like, if I'm going to be in trouble, (laughs) if I'm going to be in trouble and sit down and mastermind something, some other way we can get in trouble even more it would definitely be you. Um, and I say but that- I served a lot of detention uh, in middle school. So believe me, I definitely understand it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I wanna start off this conversation. I always like to bring context to folks how I know um, my guest. And um, you and I actually met the very first time at an event at Spotify. 
And at that time, you were not in education. You were in a whole different industry, but we had connected because um, you were starting to go through the process of transitioning and getting into education space. And so I want folks to know, because there's a lot of us, and I include myself as a career changer, who stepped into this world of education, knowing what it would be, whether it was pay cut, whether it was all the expectations and the workload that we had heard about the, the quote unquote horror stories, but there was something about education that was alluring to you. Um, and taking all of the skills that you had, you have been able to do phenomenal things. So let's just start with, where did you start before you came into the world of education? So, I mean, the, the origin story is, uh, it's always been steeped in mission, right? So we met because youth development was a big part of my existence, regardless of what I did, right? So I've always been in marketing. I went to school for marketing, uh, was in the music industry, really wanted to do music and kind of be the next Diddy. Um, found myself into tech because of that, like tech and CE. And so by the time, you know, we had crossed paths, I had already been doing this for like 10, 15 years, right? So like coming up with innovative ideas when it's connected to our youth and then just kind of whatever I was doing at the moment. So if I was doing music, I had a music program, like even going all the way back to the beginnings of the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival, right? Like, mm -hmm. fine, it's the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. But the first festival they did with Lupe Fiasco, I remember I built a program with you to shoot the catalogs, like do the, foot, the photography of the catalogs, write about the artists, and then be the backstage um, liaisons between the major artists, which were Big Daddy Kane and Lupe, to, you know, the, the whatever was happening at the Brooklyn Bodega, right? So, and these were 15 and 16 year olds, right? And so the idea around it was like, what could I always do to make sure I'm pushing the needle forward when it comes to creating things that open up access and present educational experiences for kids, right? Because that's that's something that I had coming up, right? If, if I didn't have that, I don't know that I would have been, you know, I understood like your access to every, somebody has to give you that, that come up. Somebody has to give you that opportunity. Um, and not everybody lives in that space. But I thought if I could be the person that, well, you do music and yeah, you might be the biggest artist in the world, and no, you might not be thinking about youth and education, but I could get you to do that. I could get you to be, you know, a youth developer, a teacher, something, you know? It also goes back to when I worked at the YMCA as a 17 year old, like my boss was Easy AD from the Cold Course Brothers, right? Wow. Like Grandmaster Kaz worked at the Y with me, you know what I mean? Like Cool Herc, <laughs> I became a teacher because Cool Herc punked me on a, on a rooftop at an event. And he was like, yo, y'all talk a whole lot but y'all not doing nothing, you know what I mean? You know how, you know, you get in that circle, you know, and you just talking and you talking about this and that. He's like, but y'all not doing nothing. What are y'all doing? What movement are y'all creating? And so I think, you know, uh, that's also having a forefathers, you know, Africa Bambada and like these dudes tell me. Wait, people may not know the names that you're dropping, you know, I think you need to just give a little little context to the significance sure. of those individuals. Sure. So cool. Grand Wizard Theodore created the scratch for DJing, right? At 12 years old. Cool Herc is, is presented as the forefather of, of hip hop, right? Taking the break, looping the break. Cool uh, Grandmaster Kaz 
Easy AD, that's the Cold Crust Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. You, you hear Jay-Z talk about them in the songs. And these are the forefathers of hip hop. And they created hip hop as a culture, which is a culture recognized by the national, by the um, United Nations since 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. as an actual global culture. At 14, 15, and 16 years old, and Herc was a little bit older, he was 17, 18, they created something that resonated from the Bronx New York City that changed the world, right? Much like the people before them that created house music out of Chicago and Detroit, Detroit, right? So you have like all of these movements that are created by black, young, black, Latino males and females, queer, right? Mm-hmm. All of that is, is a part of what's resonated across the globe and that people have appropriated and said, it's theirs and now it's a billion dollar business, but it all started with these individuals and these individuals are the people that kind of raised me, you know, in my elder teenage years, you know, as I was uh, growing up to be a man and trying to figure out what I'm doing in the world and what I want to put into the world. Um, but even so- in seeing that, in seeing that because you were in such cro- pro- close proximity to them, right? And the fact that you were able to work at the Y with them, and be able to have these conversations. And it's just like, you're literally kicking it with people who have this world fame and we see the domination of hip hop as it relates to the entire world. Um, They're being accessible to them, having that relationship with them. um, That also, you know, almost sets the foundation for you when you now enter this education space, because we'll get into your relationship with your kids and um, the things that you have been able to do with them and how you pour back into them. So you talk about marketing, you talk about hip hop and that influence, but Mike, you end up becoming a physical education teacher and shout out to all the physical education teachers out there who you know, help kids to shine and, and are so creative, especially when COVID came and keeping kids moving. How do you become a PE teacher? So first and foremost, like probably two years before I became like a, a department of education teacher, mm-hmm. I had thought about what it, what does it look like for me to meld and kind of build these dual worlds? And at the time, probably a little bit earlier is when I met Eric Thomas, right? And so we all know E.T., the hip hop preacher. Yes. And what I did with him is, is just kind of like work on branding and figuring out exactly the same thing, right? He had this message and he wanted this message to reach the world. And I was like, man, but education is probably the largest gap. A lot of people also don't know about his multiple degrees and he's Dr. Eric Thomas. And like, these were all these powwows and conversations we would have around education and how we're impacting our community and what we could do and what does it look like. And so these concepts had already existed, right? Even in the office I was at. So I worked with the Gimo brothers who are the four brothers who created Ubisoft, right? And they own ed tech companies. And so we would literally sit around the office and talk about you know, curriculum and what was being built and the educational systems and where it's falling short and how they could fill gaps. And, and I was just wondering like, okay, what position in a school besides the principal or AP? And I feel like there was something that was more influential than that in the space, 
that no one had talked about. And I knew that that was physical education. I looked at kind of like everything in my history and then like looking at the kids that I still coach basketball with or that I coach tennis with or whatever. And I just realized like, wow, you're impacting hundreds and hundreds of kids. You're the only person in the building besides the principal and AP and maybe the counselor and maybe not even a counselor that sees every single student every single day, right? Depending on how schedules are mixed up. Mm -hmm. And so funny enough, I was on a train and I saw an ad as I was going to my office. My office was on Varick Street for New York City Men Teach, mm. right? Which was a movement of trying to put, because I think most people don't know that in New York City, you know, black men and Latino men only make up less than 3% of the actual teaching population of our schools, even though the mass population of our students are 96 or 97% black and Latino, right? But mm -hmm. we're not in front of them and we're not teaching them, right? And so I saw this thing and I was like, ooh, I need to figure out how I'm gonna get into these meetings. So I started sneaking into New York City and teach meetings because they said that you had to like wanna be becoming an educator. And I was like, I'm still working, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm still this marketing director running all of North America, doing these crazy things. But I need to find out like what you're building and what's happening with this movement. Within that, I found out about this program that Mayor de Blasio put together called um, Pathways to PE. And so it was this concept of not a physical educator, but what does it look like to put a wellness, like take that position of physical education and create wellness coaches in elementary schools across New York City. And I was like, oh, that's revolutionary. Right. And I only wanted to not let me let me say it like this. Like I knew my mission. Right. I'm from Bed-Stuy, grew up in Marcy Projects, know my neighborhood, know my community, live in my community. And I was like, man, if I could do this, I would want to do this at my elementary school. So I applied for the position and you had to go through fiery hoops. It wasn't like you had to even though you were a career team, they were like, listen, you're going to come teach a lesson. And out of, you know, almost a thousand people, um, really 4,000 people as total, as far as like applications, and then a thousand that they just kind of chose. And then they whittled it down to 27. I was one of those 27 that got chosen to go through this process. And throughout that process, you know, we were supported with the maximum amount of support that I think any at least in my era, any educational program has, right? We had like 10, you know, uh, coaches for curriculum and, and pedagogy and lessons and like every single turn, you know, we even had uh, people who were in our classrooms for the first three years of teaching mm -hmm. at least four times a week, right? That's refining, yeah, refining our lessons, refining every little transitions, refining our back pocket activities, refining like everything that we could do and also helping us really understand the scope and sequence of creating a physically literate child, as well as digging into social emotional learning. Like, and that's what a coach is, right? Like I became Coach Mike fully, like that was really the origin story. Like before that, you might've coached some basketball or you might've, but really I got to understand how to become a 360 degree wellness coach for K to 12 and really starting at pre-K. Wow. And so this is my first time. I don't think we've had this in-depth conversation in terms of the depth 
of the support you received because I came through the New York City Teaching Fellow and just like you, I saw the ad on the train on my way to Verizon. <laughs> I was going to downtown Manhattan and I saw the sign and I was like, it almost was like, ah, and I was like, really, I should. And it, like, it, it stood out. And I ended up calling a friend who was in the New York City Teaching Fellow and asking her like, what was her experience in applying? And just like you, it wasn't like, oh, they're just gonna say, oh, you wanna be a career changer, come in. You had to do the demo lesson. But I feel like the difference was once I got into the classroom, got into the program, there was no hands-on support in that capacity, right? There was no coaches. Like you had someone from the university come in and observe you maybe twice a year, but there wasn't you know, the magnitude of you having someone really sit down with you around curriculum, really having you understand the wellness and the wholeness of a child. Um, and that was intentionality, right? And you came in at a great time and to be selected, kudos to you, 27 out of a thousand folks who applied for this. And the fact that you did, you were, you were hell-bent on going to the place where it all started for you, right? And I did the same. When I became a teacher, I went back into District 13. I didn't necessarily work at the school building that I you know, came up in just because the opportunities wasn't there, but it was still in a community that was needed. And when I was a kid, it wasn't the school that I would ever be allowed to apply to, which made it even more important to do this work. So you get all this amazing support. Um, you are even featured in a lot of uh, new stories because of the work that you were doing that was literally revolutionary. And you start to tap into the very relationships that you had, right? Because you just didn't make it about, oh, now I'm Coach Mike and I'm in these classrooms uh, or, or in this gymnasium and you know, teaching children physical fitness, you literally got corporate America to realize the importance of backing the vision that you had yeah. to empower these children. So what did that look like? Well, so when I went to my school building, right, once again, it's my school, I went there, uh -huh. graduated in my neighborhood. Before that, I had already kind of known, like, just from going to the grocery store, going to play with my son in the park, or just like little things, you know, going to see my grandma and the peas, like it, it, it didn't, I already kind of knew what the gaps were in the community. And so what I did was kind of assess like, how did those gaps follow over into the school building? And then on top of that, right? It's like, that's the other thing we've gotten to this program, you know? And we were just talking about like Dr. Nairi Dixon, right? Like she was my principal when I did my student teaching in her building in, in Brownsville. And one of the first things like she sat down and kicked it with me about, she was like, listen, the whole building is yours. It's not you like the gym might be a domain, but you're one of the few people that get to see all of the students. So you could tap in across the board, whether no matter what class they're in or what they're doing, like they they might be you might be like the first person that they want to speak to as far as students or even sometimes teachers, just because you're, you're in such a different space throughout the building. And so I kept that with me, you know, of course, I visited you before my first day of school, right? Like, so, to, yeah. and you talked to me about vision and you were like, listen, you have to go into your, your building with a vision and understand what your vision is, but really break it down. Not like this whole big old thing, yeah. but like, what, what's the micro? What are you doing? What's happening month to month, week to week? How are you, you know, not only reaching 
these kind of like I, these KPIs or these key performance indicators as far as being an educator, but what else are you doing? And so that was the number one thing I kind of went into my building with day one. Literally, it only took a couple of months, right? You pull on a couple of strings to talk about some partnerships. Just to be honest, I did reach out to, you know, the Sean Carter Foundation around what they were already doing in the community and saying like, hey, I'm here now. My building is, is accessible to you, totally free. Like, mm -hmm. let's start reshaping what we do because what people don't know about PS297 is it's located directly across the street from Marcy Projects, right? And Tompkins. So you have both, you're in slap dab in the middle of both projects, right? And so anyone who grew up in Marcy knows, like we say the other side, like, yeah. you know, you have Flushing side, you got your Willoughby side, and then we don't really go to Tompkins. The Tompkins don't really come to Marcy, but we meet in the middle at PS 297 and what was formerly IS 33. And so I reached out to the Sean Carter Foundation. I'm like, listen, this is September. I'm like, oh, let's go gifts. I know you've given out gifts. You do it at the church. It don't really reach as many people, you know, come do it at the school. Not only do I have a, a core group of kids who are directly from both sides of the projects, right? But now the neighborhood knows the school. So anyone can come. Um, it didn't really work out. I guess his mom didn't really see like the value in moving the location, um, mm -hmm. which is which is kind of hard when you're not in the neighborhood and in the community on a daily basis. You kind of don't really know what's going on on a day to day and how things are shifting, right? What yeah. new development is coming up? How you know families are being pushed to the middle? So you, you don't really know. Anyway, um, I said, you know what? I'm I'm a person that also has that access. I was able to connect with the Brooklyn Nets immediately, right? Um, and Heather, who's over there, who's head of all communities, she's amazing. We connected, this was like her first week of work, <laughs> literally coming from, I think she was at the Rangers. We connected and she was like, of course, we got some amazing stuff that we could build. And we did this, you know, I have a, a interesting relationship with Big's mom, you know, Veneta Wallace, like from when he had passed, I had did, this kind of like tribute event that she was involved in. We raised some money for his foundation. Long and behold, here it comes full circle. And she's providing all the gifts for the children. The Brooklyn Nets are like, listen, we got, we're gonna give you the whole gym. We're gonna feed the kids, bring all the kids. So here we pile up, you know, five, six, seven buses. You know, we, we come through, we have an amazing time. The kids have a wonderful Christmas party. And I was like, ooh. That started in September. So now I know how to plan, right? And it was always, it was also kind of the proving ground that if you, if you really are invested in and understanding that all teachers need to be marketers, then you then you know that there are people that are willing to give up their time, their support, money if necessary whatever to really make sure that these kids have experiences that support the education that's happening in the classroom, right? And so this wasn't really just about having a Christmas party or a Christmas experience. We had already kind of been talking about what does it mean to be community? And that was a big thing that was thematically created by admin in the building. Like we were, we were so in sync, it just, it didn't make any sense. Like as soon as I got there, admin is like, Listen, we're all about community. Like, that's what we're about this year. I was like, well, that's, I live here. I'm, I'm about it all the time. 
And so it synced well, you know, with all of the lessons we did around community. We did a community walk, like all of the things, and then like communing in a space, um, understanding that regardless of what we have uh, financially, how we live, you know, and, and the views of us as an impoverished community and a group of people that love is our biggest currency. And that we, if we exist in that, and then we, you know, kind of radiate that through airwaves and spaces, boom, here we are, Barclays Center. I'm gonna tell you, so not only did we do a Christmas party, five, I was able to take 500 people who had never been to the Barclays Center ever, 10 minutes away from where we at, mm -hmm. to come to games, take their families. And not only, we didn't do that just one year, we've been doing it for five years straight. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the proving ground. But then on the other end of it, there was this paper I had written when I was doing my master's degree about colors in spaces and educational spaces and how they connect to uh, how children learn how they feel, their social emotional state. Long and behold, Board of Health, they're like, oh, we wanna do these cool, uh, I don't know, movement murals at schools. And I was like, well, here's this paper I wrote and here's something I think might be a little bit better, right? They said, great, we love it, great paper. Gave me a whole bunch of money and said, let's do these murals. And that was the beginning of that entire program that radiated throughout the city, right? So also just kind of being first and also being consistent in educating yourself, right? Edifying and then, and then doing your research. Like you're an educator, you're, you're a researcher and really being at the cusp of understanding like it's not just about what I wanna see happen, but what do the kids need? How am I filling that need? And then how can I get a partner to come in and really help fill that? Now, let me pause you for a second because what you're saying is so key and so critical, but I often think that there's there's some there's a missing element to those who go through traditional educational models and become teachers, right? And it's it, and it's no um, it's not sliding them in any way. I do think that there is an advantage to being a career changer when you go into education, or at least having a background outside of education, because a lot of people are traditional. They've gone through um, K through 12, went to college, got their master's, or maybe they didn't get their master's yet, but they went through college, went back into the school system. And so that's all you really know. And so a lot of the things that you're saying that you were able to accomplish came from one, your experiences of being in a different industry. Um, when you talk about KPIs, most people don't understand what that means, right? But we know that Essentially, it's the same thing when you're looking at data. How do you break up down the data? But yeah. you have to have intentionality around data. You have yeah. to know what data really means in the grand scheme of um, what is our goal? What are we trying to accomplish? Where do we know we're at? And what are the things we need to do in order to get to the place that we want to go? And we don't talk about it from that lens, nor do we educate those educators in the space to understand that, right? Because essentially education is a business. It is yeah. transactional. It is all about numbers and it's about outcomes. But we don't speak about it in that regards because we're so focused on uh, loving children, nurturing children. Um, and that's important in textbooks, 
But at the end of the day, all of this is based off of capitalism and bottom lines. And so that's one aspect of it. The second aspect that I hear that's common throughout every story that you're telling is that there was some type of example set for you, right? So within um, the New York City Department of Education, I will, I will wholeheartedly say if there was one department that was really, really supportive anytime I called and was and exceptional when it came to, that's your vision, we wanna help you make it happen, was physical education. Anything around wellness and physical education and the person who was in charge was Dr. Oh, what is his name? Ramsey. Ramsey, Victor Ramsey. When I tell you he is like the champion of all champions when it comes to children, when it comes to really like changing what it looks like, especially in, for our kids of color and his entire team, like they came to the school. I had so many ideas, but I didn't know where to start. They gave me money. We didn't, we didn't have, we shared a space and it was really hard to get space in our building. And we had a gymnasium. They gave us money to convert a room into a gym space. And they came and they trained my, my PE teacher who was brand new out of college, Mr. Blake, and I would send them to every single workshop, whatever y'all, Victor, what y'all got going on, I would send them, right? So yeah. that's the first example. Shout out to Nyree Dixon, amazing principal. She's so strong. She's a force to be reckoned with. And she's just someone that I really can say has done exceptional work and has a love and regard for the community, right? And then the other aspect of it is what you know about the community and what you said, like it was so important for you to know what the gaps were, right? And because you knew what the gaps were, you were able to say, this is what we can accomplish. And so you could see a bigger picture. So when you and I talked about vision, it was about how do you take what you know and then apply the same thing in this education space and connect these dots. And so that networking piece where you know somebody from the Brooklyn Nets and you're like, hey, I'm working at a school because no one wants to do your job. But if they hear that you're working with kids, they will give you all the money. They will give you all the resources. What do you need? How can we show up? And so that's what you did. And I, I wanted to, you know, kind of wrap that up and put that in a bowl because I want folks to know that there are there there are secret ingredients, if you will. And it should be secret ingredients. They're, these are just the ingredients to successful models that changes the trajectory for children and transforms communities. And because you are a person who is like, I see what y'all are doing, but that makes no sense. Let me show you how you can do it differently. It, 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 it actually um, becomes a catalyst. And so for educators who are listening, community members who are listening, I'm, I, I want to stress that this is all possible. Like it doesn't require super permission or it doesn't require rewriting policies. It's just a matter of where are we at and what are we going to do? The same way you were asked that question, like I hear you talking, but what you going to actually do? Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to bring that to the forefront. So you've done this exceptional job and, and you've, um, you, it might not have worked out with Sean Carter Foundation, but you found other foundations that were willing yeah. to come in. Um, like you said, there's oftentimes people who are in Brooklyn who have never been to places in Brooklyn, like the Barclays, downtown Brooklyn. Um, yeah. 
but you you also like were able to shine a light on the kids so anytime I talk to you about the kids you get so like the smile that comes out the joy I see um not just in your your the eyes but knowing your heart talk to me about your kids because they're they're brilliant and they're phenomenal yeah. so so the beautiful thing is every day I walk into the school I also see me because I was that child, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to say I was the easiest child, you know, I was the easiest student, but thanks to teachers like Miss Evans and Miss Thomas, um, and even teachers that I teach with now who were in the space, like Mr. Rayback, like these were like, they poured into you in a different way, especially you got to think about it, you know, middle of the crack epidemic, you know, like this is Marcy in, in its heyday, you know, this is you're walking over crack vials to get home. You know, you have some of your friends, their parents are dancing in the middle of the street or stealing couches and televisions. And so I think what it was too, is that one, there's something in the water, right? So brilliance does grow in Marcy, does grow in Tompkins, does grow in Sumner, like that part of Bed-Stuy, there's just this brilliance that comes out of it. There's this history of these just brilliant individuals. And maybe, no, they might not be billionaires and they might not have books and stories, but I know their stories, I've seen them, right? Even some of the people that still sit on the benches are, are brilliant, right? Maybe they've taken a wrong turn and we know life is a journey, it's not a moment, right? And so my kids are literally the, the embodiment of my community, right? The, number one, the most empathetic, like loving and beautiful individuals that I have ever seen in in the world right and i've been around the world but these babies man you can meet them for the first time they will be like are you okay <laughs> you need some water you know it's 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 funny right because this is there was this moment that happened a couple of weeks ago where uh ben simmons came through to uh field day right so we do field day and so my whole thing is like yeah we this is my field day is like the cookout you know, we hadn't had field day, like we did virtual, which was super dope too, but we hadn't done field day for years. And the first field day we did was like NBA Cares, Nike, like we had a crew, a squad. And so Ben shows up and he's at the cookout and them babies is like, we heard about your back. Can I help you? <laughs> and Ben Simmons is the New York Net player. So for both of Nets. Yes. Right. And so they're like, you know what, Ben, you shouldn't be standing, taking pictures. You shouldn't be standing up. You have to sit down like this. These are my children and this. But beyond anything else, they think about you as a human. Um, some of them are going through some of the most tumultuous and craziest things that you could ever think of. But even in their in their tumultuous journey, their path, this, these painful things, they think about you. They show you love and they, they exist in a place that I, I, I truly love every day. You know, someone asked me that the, not too long ago, they were like, what's the most enjoyable thing about what you do every day? I said, I'll be honest, 6.45 AM when I show up to my school building and them, like, as soon as I open that door, Coach Mike, right? And that's 6.45, you know? And it's, it's just the joy and the beauty of it all. And it reminds me of the joy and the beauty that I got to experience in, in my neighborhood. You know, and they're brilliant, right? They might struggle in some academics, but that doesn't take away from their brilliance, right? It just means that there's some gaps, some things that we need to work on. And that has to do with, you know, focusing around academic discipline, which is something that no one 
really talks about when it comes to the educational gap, right? It's really around like, oh, these kids can't learn this way or they need to learn a specific type of way. But there's also a lot of them come from chaos. Yes. You know, a lot of parents are, are, are not doing their jobs when it comes to taking away the chaos, right? Because chaos in the world means chaos in the home. Chaos in the home means chaos in the school, right? And so what we do really well, I think, at my school is as soon as you hit that door, that chaos is gone. When you come see Coach Mike, I'm, I'm making sure that we eliminate the chaos, however that might be. And so there's a willingness there that the children also have that I've found to be very different from a lot of other schools and a lot of other spaces and communities I've been in, right? The willingness to say, all right, let me step back. I'm six years old and I'm ready to climb this wall, but let me step back because coach Mike cares about me and I care about him. And where can you go to get those types of relationships that are unadulterated in that respect, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty. That's really the joy. And then also, too, seeing them graduate year over year and grow up and be in the neighborhood the same way I was in the neighborhood, you get to see that same thing, even though they're in seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade now. And they're like, you know, they understand the same. When they see you, because remember, I live, I live, like I see them in the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? I have one kid who was one student, he was like, Coach Mike, I didn't see you today. It was like Sunday, right? Because he usually sees me on Sunday mm -hmm. in the supermarket. He's like, I didn't see you yesterday. Where were you? Didn't you need to buy milk? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know? and so you get to see them and, and they get to know like, all right, if there's chaos going on anywhere, I know there it's sound, right? I know that person, that individual, and that's one of the biggest things I would change about the school systems in general, you know, when it comes to, especially New York City, the largest school system in the world, and most of the teachers don't live in the neighborhoods, you know, they've never even walked into, you know, five minutes down the block to see like, what's actually happening at the corner store, mm -hmm. right? Who, who, who might be the knuckleheads hanging on the corner that you probably taught? And they might just need that one time to see you to have that conversation. You know what I'm saying? Or for you to give them a piece of information. That's a big thing I've been doing a lot these days. Like I got access to all these internships and like, I don't need no news story. I don't need what you need. All right, cool. Here's where they hiring today. Yo, Nike on Fifth Avenue. I got that connect. They hire for night work. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's the, you didn't know that that's the beginning of this executive's career. They started right here in the store, right? Like demystifying everything that they think they can't do to make it manageable. And like you said, back in the beginning, like, it's that vision, it's executing that vision. So you might have all these things that you wanna see. And that's the beauty of my kids. Like they get to see me and they're open and willing to conversation. You know, even, even if sometimes the parents aren't, you know, they'll check their parents and be like, coach Mike took us to the, to the bar. He, he just took us to the Barclays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might wanna listen to something he has to say, you know? And so I think things like that become important. But to your point, representation matters. And when I say representation, it's not just being black or brown in the space, it's your relationship and proximity to the community, right? Because there are some people who look like us who still don't understand the dynamics of a particular community just because of who they are and how they were raised. Um, and I found that a lot as a principal, like having to help 
unlearn a lot of my teachers, especially those who may come from affluent neighborhoods like from Long Island or have come from the Caribbean where education is seen in a whole different dynamic, right? Or from the continent of Africa. Like I had to be like, just because the way you grew up education was considered a priority. It was a non-negotiable. Parents showed up. Parents let the, you know, the teachers be the parents and discipline yeah. the child. That doesn't happen in our communities. And it doesn't mean that our families care any less is that they don't have the same culture expectations and norms that you've experienced. And so you have to set what that looks like up in your classrooms and use communication in order to share with what are your non-negotiables? Why are you implementing these rules and regulations as it relates to your child and being able to navigate life? Because that's what happens in our community. We're imposed upon, but no one ever tells us our why, no one ever asks us anything. Um, but then also the fact that you talked about the just walking throughout the neighborhood, like I, I don't live in Brownsville, right? That wasn't my, that wasn't where I rest my head, Yeah. but I would go intentionally on weekends, just like you after church. Cause my church was in East New York, right? At a Christian cultural center. I would park my car. I would go to bargain hunters. I would be on picking Avenue during the week. I would go to the hair supply store because you could get things cheaper. You can find discount products, right? That you can find nowhere else. And quite honestly, those are the last places. Like there's areas that there's the last places that you could find these discount stores. And the kids would be like, Hey, Miss Lopez. Or the parents be like, Miss Lopez, you in here too? Girl, they got a sale over here. And it was, it was just like, they saw me as a human who wasn't above them, but you know, really about the people. And so whether you are, you look like the children, you don't look like the children, you understand their background. The biggest thing is empathy and kindness. And I think that that's something that you have demonstrated to these young people and the people that you work with, that they're able to embody that. Children learn that they don't wake up wanting to be evil and mean spirited and all the things. They come with a lot of baggage. And for some of them who have gone through, as you said, the most tumultuous situations, they can be the most loving and most empathetic. They become empath, they see pain. They see someone going through something and will come to you and rub your back and say, are you okay? Because yeah. some of them just wish that someone did it for them or have seen it and have felt it and say, I wanna reciprocate it. Yeah. So to that- I, yeah. I would also say this too, like one of the biggest things I've begun to, to see that that rubs me a little bit the wrong way is you do also have, like you mentioned, like you have individuals who might grow up in those communities, but also they they might hate where they come from. Yeah. So in turn, like train also train their children that there's this disgust or this right. I've I've never, I've never to this day, I've never felt like less of a human being for walking through my projects ever. Mm -hmm. Right. I've never ever felt that way, but I hear I hear some some parents say, don't talk to those project kids or and I'm like hold up do you know that <laughs> your teacher is one of those project kids you yeah. know what I mean like do you know that the person that is in front of you that that is doing all these amazing things and taking a kid to Microsoft and Xbox and and bring it and doing all these things with Nike and right like I'm I'm the project kid yeah so. And my family and 24 members of my family also went to the same school and grew up in the projects. So what does that mean exactly? And I think my grandparents 
along with my parents, never let, let us believe that we were nothing, mm-hmm. right? And that's marketing that happens through movies, through music, through all of these things, right? Like you're less of a human because you come from this, this neighborhood or this community or, you know, what some would say is poverty. And I'm like, y'all obviously haven't been around the world because I could show you poverty, right? And I'm sorry, it ain't a three bedroom apartment with local transportation and you got food in the crib. It ain't that. So sneakers to select from. Like and sneakers and sneakers and you get Jordans every week. It ain't it ain't that. No. So you know that's one of the biggest things that I think needs to be filtered into and filled is kind of like not just the reinforcement of our babies that no matter where they come from they are and will always be the best humans in the world because that's what they are. But also too that training for those parents. And those individuals that want to kind of make it seem like you're less of a human because of where you come from, even though it's where they come from. Yeah. And even so that's where you come from. That's the charge for the leadership. And as you said, especially in New York City Department of Education, I think it just should be part of if it isn't it's app is should start in training programs, right? It should start in the colleges, universities, but it is the responsibility of schools. And I know for many leaders, you know, up and on, be like, we have so much on our plate. Listen, every June, I would tell my staff, get your little comfortable sneakers out, your, whatever you want to put on your foot, because we are going to take a walk. Because I had to remind them of what summer looks and feels like in Brownsville. So when you're excited about your summer vacation and you're going to get to go away or you get to not come to this neighborhood, our children are going to feel that the, the heat is different <laughs> in these communities. Right? Yeah. Heat equals violence, right? Yeah. Heat is discomfort. They don't have the same access. They don't get to play at the park. I remember when we finally took our kids to, um, they didn't know the difference between a playground and a park. park. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like they knew Prospect Park, but outside of Prospect Park, like we went to places they didn't understand. Like, how come this they, there's no um, basketball court here? And I was like, because it's not a playground. It's a park. It's, that, we, they, it's, you know, we went to City Hall Park and they were like, why they don't have a play a basketball court here? And I was like, because people have to work and <laughs> that it's not a playground. And just even something as simple as that, being able to just understand what it looks and feels like for them to just survive. Right. And, and, and how we want to pray them through the summer to make sure that they make it to September, because a lot of them, it is life or death. But that's part of the work. Right. And that's the beauty of the work. And now I want to transition. I think it's really important to start talking about where you are just in your practices as an innovative educator. Yeah. Um, Yes, you got into the field as a physical education teacher, but you know I, I always like to use the term educator because when you look at it from that perspective, you no longer are subscribing to a specific title or specific content area. And you have really been at the forefront of introducing young people to the world of Web3, um, gaming, uh, looking at sh- especially shoe design, entrepreneurship, and you have taken this, and you know your your stage right now is an international level. 
Um, and so I wanted to, you know, talk about what motivated you to start thinking about expanding and creating these programs and really targeting the young people and, and, and doing it on an international level. Yeah. I mean, so it started even, uh, really pre pandemic. Right. And it, and I'm just going to be honest, it's all steeped in research, right? So, you know, just hardcore in the libraries at, at Brooklyn College and like having these conversations. I was awarded the Toe Fellowship initially to um, do some research around what does it look like for, uh, because New York City is a, is a playground desert, actually. Most people don't even know that, right? And so what, what do you really need in order to incite mental wellness for a child. And we all know that ch children learn through play. Play is extremely important and how play is being kind of supported across the board. And so it really started with that research. And then you begin to think about play in a multitude of levels, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all right, why are we not doing podcasting, right? Like we met at Spotify, yeah. right? And I'm like, okay, that whole time at Spotify, we were talking about encoding and decoding, like how we are tracing technology through kind of like this this old ancient knowledge of hieroglyphics and then bringing it through to what we're doing now with coding and, and right now it's it's but then once I started doing the research I was like ooh okay we need to start building kind of alternative educational experiences that fill the gap in between math ELA social studies science right so supporting all of that learning but then putting it into a real applicable way in the real world. And students will learn even more if they're able to do that, right? Then you push me into the pandemic, I'm teaching the LA, I'm teaching math, right? So I'm, te I'm teaching the subjects, right? I'm teaching fourth grade, right? Which is a key, we know that's a key grade. So I'm like, ooh, all right. That even gives me more ability to kind of take this research. I'm looking at Maslow's fourth tier, right? Maslow's fourth tier really talks about after we go past our basic needs, the major need is social learning. That's the major need, right? It's like, and it, and it supersedes almost every other need, right? It's, it's, it's feeling a part of a community where you're consistently growing academically, right? Because the more you know, the more you can do, right? The more you know. So if you, you put it on a basketball court, if I know how to go through my legs and step back and take a jump shot, I can be a part of a team. And if I can be a part of the team, I'm gonna learn from my teammates, but I'm also gonna feel a part of something and I'm gonna feel that love and that adoration and all those things that become important. And so really building out these, these concepts was steeped in the beginnings of that research. I also did a pretty big paper on identity formation and how black and Latino kids build identity based on the marketing that gets pushed to them, right? So this whole trope of the gangster from, you know, in hip hop from 88 to now, right? Like what that does to a child's mind. And I'm thinking like, okay, how do we fill those gaps? How do we reinterpret that, reinstate that, right? Because you have to also use the tools that's being used against you, right? So if that's something that's being used, well, all right, boom. We wanna talk about being uh, vocally heard. And that's how I built out that project with Spotify around uh, doing podcasting and mm -hmm. speaking and originally it wasn't podcasting it was literally the sound time capsule of stating making a, a, a major statement and a mission statement through vocals that was going to be saved forever right 
on, on this little USB drive that we put away for you to state who you were going to be in the future mm. and how you were going to get there. Right. And they were like, oh my goodness. Then I shared the paper on identity formation. And they're like, oh wow, this is steeped in academic research. So really that's how it all began is the research. And then from the research, I build these things. I build these things, right? If you if you want to talk about industrial design, well, guess what? I had Brand Jordan. Brand Jordan came to my school all the way from Portland to speak to six, seven fifth graders. And they found out each and every single one of them gets one pair of Jordans every single week. So guess what? That means that if, if the sneaker is going to allow me to, I took that data, visualized it, and I said, ooh, that means that you're in, into industrial design. Mm-hmm. That means right, all of these things that come into it, right? Sneakers are akin to cars. We can get into engineering. We yeah. can look at, and then let's break that down into what the Jordan means for you formulating identity. Mm-hmm. What does that mean in the community? So it's back into that research, back into identity formation. What does it mean now, right? And so let's jump in with what you're saying, right? Which is so key because, you know, oftentimes when we associate children living in poverty, the first thing, and I did it during this conversation with podcasts, is that, or we talked about like kids who are in poverty will still have a pair of Jordans, but we mm-hmm. can still take that what seems like a negative attachment, but really utilizing as a vehicle to teach them what else is connected to it in terms of careers, disciplines, opportunities, right? The fact- Also too, let's go back to the basics of the learning. Yes. So in sneaker design, we're talking about measurement. We're we're doing that like real basic first through fourth grade math, Mm -hmm. right? We're We're doing real first through fourth grade reading, writing, English, like- you know, we're getting into phonetics, like we, all of that is still very much there. So it's not just the, the access to the industry, but it's the, it's, it's unlocking your learning. It, and it's taking something that they already have. So now think about that young child, because you're doing this on an elementary level, not middle school or high school. What that means for that young child when they're home and they start looking at their Jordans from a different lens. And then they start having this conversation with their parents who went to the same schools, who may not have had the same access and opportunities, who see Jordan as an identity, as opposed to this is a construct that can lead to other things, right? That's the power in you understanding um, what the significance of this can be. Because anything that's in our households, really, right? Like I used to tell my teachers, like my math teacher at one point, um, Mr. Principal, he thought I was crazy because I was like, yo, we should be teaching kids um, craps and, and blackjack. And he was like, like his whole thing was, well, you know, we can't do that in the Department of Education. I said, but it's probability, right? And it's, we have to teach them probability and they do it at home and on the street. They do it on the street. Like I've been on the train <laughs> and we used to do it in high school, right? And people literally make millions. We've seen ESPN used to show it all the time. Back in the day before all this 24-hour news, they used to show the blackjack tournaments and people winning hundreds of thousands of dollars who never look like us. So what you're doing is so powerful because when we start looking at the things that we have in our reach and we start to break it down, right? That w- that's really the power of who we even are as a culture. 
That's yeah. how we created all of these things, all of these disciplines. And that's why we've always been the creators of cultures, but then it's been taken, misappropriated and sold back to us because we don't know the origins. But not just the creator of culture, but the crux of invention. Of course. The comb, the iron, the like all of these Everything. inventions that exist, the heater in your house, the refrigerator, these the stoplight, the stoplight, all created by non-traditionally educated individuals, right? Who were who are live at the crux of invention, the internet, the rocket engine, right? All of these things. So really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to incite the mind of through imagination. Even the right? super soaker. <laughs> Even the super soaker, right? Powered yeah. by imagination. I mean, he he was like a real engineer. Yeah. Right. He was the real deal, you know, like he wasn't. But you even see somebody like that that you don't we don't teach that in our in our classrooms. We don't make that accessible to our young people. Again, they become consumers without actually knowing how it was produced. Yeah. Right. And and that becomes like if I could show you what this can be for you you can literally invent the same things, if not something better, right? Like you can, you can if use- not something better. But the, here's the thing, here's where it really shifts. You got to put them in the spaces, right? So a few weeks ago, I took, I want to say 20 kids to the actual Nike New York City headquarters to sit and talk about, you know, product innovation around uh, outside wear for children in the second and third grade. So you only have second, third and fourth graders in the building, right? Mm -hmm. This is their job. Their job is to have this conversation at a high level. And guess what? Get, they, like, they went in. <laughs> went in, had all types of ideas, but also, and, and I, like I said, uh, it's a testament to the space that they get to be in. Because not only are they able to talk about it from this macro perspective, they could break it down because they've been doing it since kindergarten. Right. We're having these conversations like and, kindergarten. Um, yes. You know, like this is what we're doing. We just finished a project where the kids built cities, right? We were talking about urban planning and like did this art project with Material for the Arts, great partner to yes. build yes. cities, right? So we're building cities, talking about where spaces are. Why do we need to build green spaces, right? I even tell you the first week I started at school, it just reminded me of this stuff. Pratt had a sustainable design space in the Pfizer building old Pfizer building, right? Mm -hmm. First thing I did was we're going on a trip to that space. Why coach Mike? One, because it's across the street from the projects, along with the trapeze school. Something's changing in the neighborhood. We got to be in there. Even if we don't know what it is, we got to be there just so we know what's going on. Guess what's happening in the same building now? Bitcoin Academy by Jay-Z. So guess what? That building becomes an important space. But here they are learning about sustainability. Oh, coach Mike, you can make fabric from plastic? Yeah, you sure can. And guess what? They got the machine here across the street from the project, right? We make a recycled sweatshirts, cutting them up, putting them together. These are things they're not going to forget. But what they do through imagination is they innovate. That, chi that childlike imagination is, has made Disney a billion-dollar company. Absolutely. Has made Apple a billion-dollar company. Has made Google a billion-dollar company. Unfortunately, when you have too much melanin in your skin, you might not get through the door. So my goal is, okay, we starting at kindergarten because I figure, you know, at least 
15, 20 years, if we keep knocking on the door and banging down the door, you got to let Anthony in. You got to let Jonathan in. You got to let Keisha in. Like, they've been there. They've been there for forever. But to your point, even before you get to the 15, 20 years from now, the way New York specifically is set up, if you don't introduce the young people to these, um, these opportunities, if you don't show them what is out there, right, in terms of the multitude of possibilities and industries, they don't apply to a specific middle school, high school, they don't know. New York is so different. Like, you know, in the South, I'm here in the South right now. And it's like, if you go, if you live in this zip code, this is your elementary school, this is your middle school, and this is your high school. There are no other choices. Everybody goes here. New York, you have to literally go through the selection process. So if you don't know what STEM means, you don't know what it means to go to a school that's about writing and journalism and, or you don't know about performing arts like that, your parents really haven't prepared you. That one middle school, you're, you're, you're three years behind. And yeah. then when you're in a middle school that doesn't really know or prepare you, when you have to select a high school, you have all of these high schools that are specifically themed for specific industries that have partnerships that give children the access, right? That is what they experience is totally different from the kid who's just going to go to the zone school, right? You may or may not have someone like yourself who would come in and partner with the school and say, listen, I have uh, connections. I can connect the dots for you. If they don't have that, then our kids do not get to disrupt yeah. the lack of representation that's actually happening in these industries. And that's essentially what you're saying. Like, I want the, I want my kids to know, right? Yeah. And you're doing it again. I want to stress, right? Because it's not to bring up critical race theory because it's not where the conversation is going to go. But oftentimes we get so caught up in titles and specific descriptives as opposed to, yo, what are you just going to do differently? How are you going to remix where you at and what you're doing, right? So yes, I'm a PE teacher, but that doesn't stop me from using skills and leveraging relationships and being creative and, and teaching kids because that's not part of your, uh, New York State does not have a curriculum designed by what you've done. You just know your kids. Now, do you provide them with what they need for the physical health part of things? Absolutely. But do you sprinkle a little bit more? Have you created opportunity that extends part of the after school day or during your lunch period that takes up some of your time? But at the end, what will that mean for that child 10 or 15 years from now? And also too, like I'm a damn good pedagogue, you know, like they, they didn't invest all the money into me. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm good. Like I'm good. And right? you studied it. When I'm turning talks, we we flip it, and like we 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 are good, and we understand that that content is gonna be learned. But I also know that in the midst of me teaching bocce ball, I'm teaching ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching engineering. I'm teaching physics. I'm teaching math. We're writing. We're reading. Like we doing all of that at, and it's all happening at a high level. Right. And that's the other part of it. I don't want any teacher who's listening to this to think like, yo, it's all about the fluff. Nah, be about your practice. Yep. Be about your practice. Know how to flip that Danielson if you're in New York City. Right. Know, know your pedagogy. Know how to teach that content. Seek help. 
be supported and also be supportive. Be in those groups. And like I said, this is not something I just do as an educator. I was doing it before. And yeah. I'll, I'll say this like very clearly, youth development is not being a teacher, right? And so I was in the youth development space thinking, I'm like, I'm killing it. I ain't really know what a lesson plan looked like till I really rolled up into that master's class on how we get that retention and what it means. And if you wanna impact and really change these children's lives, be both, work hard, like really dig in, right? Don't forget to take care of yourself. Don't forget to do things that are necessary because W.E.B. Du Bois said that children don't learn what you teach, they learn who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So you might come in there with all the beauty and the ood and this is great. And guess what? You barely breathing, right? You might have gained 80, 90 pounds because you're just self-medicating through food. Like all these things that are happening in the space, you gotta, you gotta really be about your practice mm -hmm. and really, really be focused. You know, like I became a PE teacher. I wasn't about fit, like being, you know, playing physically fit or right, but I knew. I said, man, and them classes is not easy when you're doing that master's four or five hours of like just being physically active. Yeah. But also too, I also realized that my shape and my body, I could also use that as a catalyst too. Cause it's like, oh, coach Mike looked like me. But wow, he just did 20 push-ups. I could do it too. Coach Mike looked like me, you, you know? And it, it, there's these things that we can use these tropes and use these uh, visual things that exist to really impact but I'm a damn good pedagogue and I, I grind on that every day all day I'm reading them research papers I'm reading them books I'm going back into it and then also too like I'm a damn good marketer too and I don't stop learning you know and that's that's to me that's the key that's how I'm able to do any of this and what I consistently want to do for the rest of my life and so I love hearing it. And I hope that people who are listening are definitely inspired because, you know, this is not an anomaly. This is possible in every space. Um, and you continue to elevate the bar and you're not selfish about it, right? As much as you do for your no. school, you have literally expanded your knowledge and network base, like I said, on an international level, we have a common person, um, uh, Karen Giles, who's in the UK, um, and the young scholars of Barham Primary School that you have worked in Stonebridge with. now too. We in Stonebridge too. Yeah, look at that in the UK, and um, you know, and and it just speaks to what is needed, and so. If you could be on a panel um, for education, whether, and I, I would dare to say more so the Department of Education, and even if it's the US Department of Ed, right? If they really were to create a committee that was about changing the game, what would probably, I don't know if it's fair to ask, but I'm gonna still ask it, top three things that you would say, these are the things that we need to focus on, whether it's from, the principal's office, the teacher in the classroom, or for the young people, what are the top three things that folks need to be mindful of in order to shift and make and make the change needed? The first thing would be uh, the the most powerful space in a in a student's life is their home. 
-hmm. and how are we penetrating and recalculating what that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. um, we had this pandemic. You know what was amazing? To see parents be like, how should I build my students' educational space? What, what do I need? And then we got a whole bunch of furniture in a basement of the school, <laughs> right? tables from kindergarten like what can we give what can we do so let's reimagine what the educational spaces look at home mm. you know no matter in the most chaotic situation how are we working with parents to create education at home um the pandemic taught us that this is absolutely positively necessary we always knew it was necessary but we know it's necessary right mm -hmm. so that that's number one number two is how are we then kind of creating situations where you can have those partnerships and sponsorships and, and connections to then support that work, right? Really support what you're doing in your classroom, what you're doing in the community, what's happening in, in houses, right? And we saw that too. When every child in New York City got an iPad out of nowhere. Yeah. Wow, right? So imagine if we really looked once again, that's a partnership. But guess what? We could have said, yo, Ikea, here's what we need. We need a mini desk. I mean, table, we need a cup holder, we need, let's, let's make that happen too. How can we do that? What's, what's a solution that we can build to make sure that's in every single home so every single child has their little school work session, you know, section at, at, at home, right? No matter what the house looks like, because Ikea specializes in small spaces, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third thing would 100% be um, how are we making sure that teachers are not burning out or losing interest, um, how are we gauging them and collecting that data for real and then visualizing it? Um, maybe, maybe you don't need to be a fourth grade teacher that year. Maybe you do need, maybe you need to, right? Like let's let's reevaluate. Maybe you could actually go become the lunch lady. Maybe you could be, you know, the, the greeter at the front. Like we have to begin to look at roles interchangeably so that you have the impact in the space and I've seen it firsthand in my building, right? I've seen like, yo, the paras of the truth, by far like one of the most valuable pieces of unused human resource across the New York City Department of Education. Those paras actually should be the people who are inciting imagination at all times. Mm -hmm. They have the freedom and the ability to do that, right? What does it look like to train them to truly become that? And like leverage, part, like they got the time to leverage partnerships, right? They're not doing the lesson plans. They're not like, there's a lot of things that they could be doing that are amazing. I've seen it firsthand when it does happen, right? My kids this year have had all types of like carnivals and pizza math events and all heralded and created by the paras in the building, right? So let's reimagine that position and then look at how they're being empowered. Because once again, they also are the ones that could go knock on the door and say, hey, Johnny ain't been in school for 10 days. What's up? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then they live in the neighborhood too. Nine times out of 10, they're local. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, those would be the three things I would say. And that's so, so good all three of those and I think a lot of people could relate to that so I thank you and and saying it on the spot because we we didn't share questions like I, I when I meet with my guests I'm like it's a very organic conversation and this is really how Mike and I kick it like literally for hours like if we have a zoom session we will be on a call for hours just 
you know, tossing ideas and really sharpening each other's iron. And I might not be in the classroom anymore or in a school building, but I get inspired. I get inspired by what he's doing. And it helps me to still be able to support other individuals in education who may seek or need what you are doing as a model, whether it's partnering with you or just being able to observe what you're doing, because that's the only way we change the game is that we have to share knowledge. And so I, I thank you for your generosity, your grace, and your kindness throughout this whole process. And just being a friend, someone that I can call on um, and we check in on each other. Um, but one of the things you talked about was self-care and, and the importance of taking care of yourself. And um, that has been really part of my recovery. And one of the things that I advocate on a mental and physical level, just because of what I went through. So how do you do that for yourself as we close out? What are the things that you do prioritizing yourself in order to make sure you're at your optimal best? So first thing is you, you definitely need a uh, therapist or someone that you can confide in and work with to offload those bricks, right? Because you, you get a lot of bricks placed on you, you know, when you're dealing with 300, 400 kids yeah. um, and their situations and things that are happening in their world. So you got to be able to talk through that. And you also got to be able to un unload those bricks, you know, daily and weekly, you know, mm -hmm. so that you can come in and show up as your authentic self. What, what's awesome is if you have a leader that also advocates for that and does that for themselves, right? And so that's important. That's powerful. Um, I'm lucky enough to have that too. But I think um, that, you know, I'm really learning how to eat better and work out, you know, like that's something that, um, I, I haven't really necessarily really been into, um, but now it's time to level it up, you know, um, as you get, as I get older, right? And I realize like, oh, I need that energy. Cause when I come in, I come in, Hey, it's coach, my let's go. You know, like, you know, when you start getting a little bit up in age, you, you gotta find that energy that's going to be through your food and what you do with your physical health. Um, and then there's also just taking the time that you need to do the things that you got to do right mm -hmm. if your baby girl is having a show don't miss her show yeah say hey i'm taking a day because my baby girl is having this show like that's something i see that teachers historically will miss everything and i'm like i know that doesn't feel good yeah and that has to do something to you mentally so take the days that you actually need that's something that i do like i'll take my days we got those vacation days i was like oh okay <laughs> I'm out. Vacation days. I got it. Boop, boop, boop. Like, these are my days I'm taking. You know, use use what you got, you know, to get the result that you need. And I think that's important. So, that's good. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for serving detention with me. As I said, it's always a pleasure. And there's so much that people walked away with. So, if you feel like you need to listen to this episode again, go back. There were plenty of gems that were dropped and practical things. Nothing that was said today is requires rocket science. Some of it does require support and planning, right? Planning, support, and, and being honest, being in the right spaces, you know, because you need to also be um, inspired and encouraged to do these things. So Mike, if they want to find you, connect with you, what is the best way for folks to reach out? I would say LinkedIn. I am Michael Peterson. Um, just hit me up on LinkedIn. It's something I've been using uh, a lot more. 
as you talk about like building your network and kind of expanding even further, you're able to have conversations. You know, I pop in on some comments of like a CEO of something like, oh, hit this link. This is what we did with some kids. They could be talking about something, especially in a Web3 space, talking about something totally different. But I'm there. I am Michael Peterson. Next thing you know, we doing Web3 projects because <laughs> I made a comment. Like, so I, I, that's I, I, where I want just to Just the Rolodex. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and also, too, I think all teachers really need to, to be there. As long as you have the vision and the mission, there's someone out there that's going to support you and say, like, yo, really, you did that? Here, let me help you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will have all of this information in the show notes because people sometimes tend to listen to us while they're driving, doing their walks, or just in the middle of whatever life has presented. And so I will have Mike's information there um, and just follow-up information that will be helpful in your journey as you are creating transformative spaces in your school. So until next time, again, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for serving time with me here in detention. Don't forget to subscribe and to tell a friend so that this way you're up to date on new episodes that will drop every week. You can also follow us on Instagram at Detention Podcast. If you want to learn more about my services as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, go to www.thelopezeffect.com. And let's stay connected on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following me on my handle, The Lopez Effect. Lastly, if you have any topic ideas, questions or comments, or want to sponsor future episodes, please send me an email at detentionwithdrnadialopez at gmail.com. All of this information will be in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't get it down. I also want to send a gentle reminder to my disruptors and rebels. It's okay for us to get into a little bit of good trouble, but please take gentle care of yourself, be well, and never forget to choose you.